I'm Lena Taylor. Welcome to Next Level Tips. I believe that one of the most valuable skills is the ability to transform obstacles into opportunities. All of us face challenges and setbacks, but how we show up for ourselves in those defining moments is what we talk about in this podcast. Get inspired with these stories and create the opportunities you've always wanted. My guest today is Dr. Tara Rutley. Tara is the Associate Chief Scientist at NASA's headquarters in Washington, D.C., where she develops and tests concepts in microgravitational research that support human exploration of space. Tara is also a speaker on the topic of our infinite capacity to adapt to ever-changing conditions. Her talks really help people understand how to overcome fear and adversity and improve their creativity by making tiny changes that yield big results. Tara holds a degree in biology, a master's in mechanical engineering, and a PhD in neuroscience. And because of her desire to explore, Tara has recently completed a master's degree in anthropology archaeology. This is a fascinating interview, and at the very end, being as curious as she is, Tara turns the microphone on me and asks me a question about what it was like to qualify and play in the Olympics, despite having been cut from my team and being told that I don't have what it takes to make it at the highest level. If you're curious, listen to the very end to hear that segment. And now, I begin our conversation by asking Tara just where did she get her curiosity about science and space? Enjoy the interview. When I was a kid in the 80s, watching the space shuttle launches, and inside of every space shuttle, there was a payload bay full of experiments that the astronauts were doing. And there were, there were flames and there were fluids and there were people spinning in chairs and there were animals or you know mice cells and Petri dishes and, and, and all these things happening. And, and I just thought, I'm looking at things that, that are just not of this, not, that can be done on earth. And so to me, just watching that, uh, all the science. And then you know I would see them do their spacewalks and I thought, well, that would be really cool to put on the big white suit with American flag on the arm and go out there and fix something or deploy something or uh, do an experiment out there. And so as a kid, I always just, I loved it. And that's what I think got me interested in science to begin with. But, you know, growing up, everybody told me, well, if you, if you want to go to work for NASA, if you want to be an astronaut, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to study engineering. And you have to do really well in math and really well in school and um, engineering, engineering, engineering. And then um, I grew up in Louisiana and we took a field trip, a three hour field trip over to the Johnson Space Center um, in high school. And it was about a three hour drive. And I got to finally ask an astronaut, so what do I have to do to be an astronaut? And he said what they all say now. <laughs> which was news to me then, but in the 90s, he said, well, you know, apply and uh, be your best, do your best at everything, but do what you love because the odds of being selected to be an astronaut are really, really slim. And if for whatever reason you're not selected, you want to have spent your entire life doing something you love. So don't just do something to make the resume look good because you think you're going to get selected. Do what you love. And by the way, we, 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 hire astronauts who are 
good at what they do. You want to be successful. You want to be happy. You don't want um, this to be the only thing. And so when he said that, I said, well, that's science. It's not engineering. It's it's biology, thanks to you know what I was learning in school uh, in in my uh, time in high school. So biology, in particular, human physiology, and so that's that's how I got off on a run um, in science and not engineering to set my sights on being an astronaut and working for NASA. You start with biology. You think you have this dream about one day going into space. And so thinking about engineering, everybody talking about engineering. So what leads you to explore further and further into sciences and how, how does that happen? So when I was an undergraduate at Colorado State, I sought out every opportunity I could to join an aerospace club. Anything that had to do with space, I joined. And I joined um, American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics uh, student chapter at CSU. And when I showed up, I was the only biologist in a room full of engineers. <laughs> uh, and their job that year was to come up with a student design for some kind of doohickey that could be used in space and take it to the the state competition and, and compete for an award. And um, and so I went home and recruited my husband to come and join with me. Uh, he was an exercise physiologist. So now there were two non-engineers in the group. And uh, and we together proposed an exercise machine for use in space, uh, resistive exercise, weightlifting, because you can't lift weights and muscle wasting in space is a, is a big deal. So how do we keep the muscles healthy? And the engineering students loved it. So we took it to, to the conference and we won the competition and uh, and then we needed to build it because we were going to test it on NASA's Vomit Comet, which is their microgravity airplane that does these parabolas. You know, you'll, you'll get two G's all the way up and then you'll wrap around the top of a parabola in an airplane and you'll get 30 seconds of microgravity all until you go all the way down two G's again. And you get about like 30 of these parabolas and at the top of each parabola, you get 30 seconds of microgravity to test your experiments. So we built that machine to fly. And in that process, here I was a biology student trying to come up with a design and build it and build the thing, I had to recruit mechanical engineering students. So that's how I got to meet the mechanical engineering students, got to work in the machine shops with them, got to learn their lingo, got to learn the software and a lot of mechanical engineering skills that I never thought I ever cared about as a biology student. We did all that, we flew on the plane and then I was about to graduate uh, and I was gonna go and get my PhD in neuroscience and they, they said, whoa, whoa, hey, wait a second. You should consider getting your master's in mechanical engineering. And I thought, no, thanks. Yeah, that's funny. Moving on, you know, and they, they just, they wouldn't let up. So every time I'd see them, they'd say the same thing until the department head said the same thing too. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll, you know what? I'll just apply. I'll just apply and put that out there. So I applied and was accepted. And that is how I got into the mechanical engineering master's degree program at Colorado State University. And that's how we ended up with a a master's degree in mechanical engineering. And, and, you know, it's an interesting thing, the way things work. And what I learned in that is uh, don't just don't say no, right? Say yes. <laughs> just, just say yes. Don't don't count yourself out. Don't rule yourself out. Let someone else do that. If an opportunity comes up in you like the slightest interest, or, or someone else sees it in you that you don't quite see, maybe just say yes, and give it a chance. Because I'll tell you right now, when I was wrapping up my master's degree in mechanical engineering, NASA um, was having a job fair and they said, 
we want the best. We want the best. You know, submit your resumes. We're we're we we need you. And by the way, we're in a hiring freeze. But send us your resumes anyway. <laughs> I'm like, well, so I just turned in my resume and got a call two days later um, because they had a need for a critical hire. They were starting a new program called the Biomedical Systems Division, a new division in uh, the Engineering Directorate. And they needed someone with a dual background in biology and mechanical engineering to work on building the exercise equipment and the medical equipment for the International Space Station. <laughs> so, uh, and so I, 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 I don't say no to that. That this is NASA, right? So this is my chance to to go to work uh, for the agency. So um, I said yes and started out at NASA as an engineer <laughs> in the engineering directorate. You and can't so, make it up. You can't make it up. <laughs> I, you know, you could call it luck, but I don't believe in luck. I think it's a lot of preparation and, and being ready for the right opportunity. That opportunity would have come in anyway. It would have been there. It, uh, it just if I had not prepared for any possibility, I wouldn't have qualified for it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, you, you kind of say something really important because call it luck, call it being at the right place at the right time, but it doesn't just appear out of thin air. Right. Right? If you think about right. the way that I got my scholarship, you know, a friend of mine, a pen pal finds the letter right. in the trash, pulls it out of the trash. Was that luck? Yeah, we can call right. it luck. But was it, you know, starting studying English at six years old and going to- You all wrote the letter. Exactly. I wrote the letter, you know, so all these different things have to come into play. And this is what you talk about, right? You talk about the neuroscience and the brain and how it really is this fluid thing that doesn't just yeah. stay stuck in space, right? That's right. And, and, and every living being is designed to adapt. Every, it, it, you know, the first thing you learn, learn as a biologist is that when changes come in, you either adapt migrate or die period and so <laughs> you can run away but not for long you need to adapt and even in space every every organism that we send up to space they adapt they do something different from the tiniest little microbe all the way up to the most complex human and everything in between changes we call it adapt and so um you us everyday people here on earth yeah we're designed to adapt our brains you know there was a period of time when i was getting my phd in neuroscience where we thought that you were born uh with all the neurons in your brain you'd ever have and you would never make any more um and that they were already there as an adult now we know now that's not even true and we've come a long way in the last 15 years just just uh, for neuroscience and we know that now these 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 little neurons in the brain are sending chemicals to each other that are making new connections when you try something new bam new connection it's weak if you do it again more chemicals released bam a stronger connection it's still a little weak do it again more chemicals bam now you've got that super strong connection and a new pathway that's going to make it easier for you to do something like that in the future that thing or something like that in the future that's adaptive generalization that is us trying new things all the time, even if they're scary, even if they're difficult, if you get in that habit, it's like exercise. You got to exercise to build muscle. If you get in that habit of trying something new or trying something different, it's going to make the unexpected a little bit easier on you next time. And boy, have we gotten doses of the unexpected, especially in the last <laughs> year and a half. So <laughs> we're all in this one together. <laughs> and so being prepared for anything, being prepared for unexpected is really, really critical. And that's why it's important to not let your brain just get used to the same old, same old every day. 
the big lesson that we learn from sports too is you know you learn to cherish those moments of when you're pushed to the limits because you know yeah. that only way that you continue to advance you continue to get better and i think it's just a big lesson to apply to life it's true and as you as you know when you think you don't have any gas left in the tank you really do when you think you're done and you have nothing more to give oh no that's not true you've got you've got something more write that extra paragraph push that extra you know weight uh resistance run that extra quarter of a mile push a little harder faster you're not done yet there's always something left and that's like what you just said if you if you can overcome that it gets it gets easier and easier and you're training yourself every single time. Tell me about what do you see next on the horizon for you? What is something that you're excited about? You know what? I'm excited about the opportunities for more access to low earth orbit, more access to space. Um, you know, we at NASA are trying really hard to open up the low earth orbit environment to more scientists to send their experiments to space. Like, I think space is cool. Yes, it's beautiful, it, it's floaty, it's different, but, and and people like to go and wanna go explore the moon and then wanna go explore Mars. For me, I, I those things are fantastic, but the unique microgravity environment is the one thing you can't get on earth. And so for me, what's exciting about the future is getting the opportunity to do more science and experience more things that can change in the low earth orbit, in the microgravity environment. And there are so many creative and brilliant minds out there from everywhere from artists to, um, to scientists, to technology uh, developers, and they haven't even thought about sending anything to space mm -hmm. yet. And I hope they start thinking about that because we need more of the creative minds. Now at NASA, we're working hard to make sure that we can launch these things and that if you have great ideas, uh, your experiments will get launched and, and run on the space station and sent home and you can look at samples. Great. But what excites me is now we're launching more regularly with our new launch vehicles with SpaceX and now Boeing coming up. Um, there are also suborbital flights like you hear you heard about Blue Origin and, and uh, Virgin Galactic. So all of these things now we're busier than ever around the planet. And I think it's fantastic because there's so many creative minds out there who haven't had a chance to send themselves or their things to the spaceflight environment. And now they're they're about to. So I think that's really exciting. Um, also really super exciting is that we're going back to the moon and, and we're going to send the first uh, woman and person of color to the moon to stay longer than we ever had before. We call it living sustainably on the moon. So with Apollo, we had the few days of a mission, but with our new program called Artemis, we're planning to stay longer. So the agency is really spent up and it's really exciting to see all the new and creative ideas about how you're gonna live, how to live on the moon, how to keep people uh, sustained on the moon. Um, how long should we be there? What kind of science is gonna be done? I mean, it's really, really busy, busy, busy. It's a busier time in low earth orbit and for the moon. And now also talking and planning about how all that links to Mars. So in my career, this is the busiest I've ever seen it. And, and I'm excited about all of it and how it all comes together. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of possibilities, right? It's a, a lot of yeah. kind of the path that hasn't been taken before and in, in what you continue to explore. And, and so I'm just kind of curious from a, a higher perspective in terms of if you look back, let's say 50 years from now, you look back onto your life and you say, this is really what we learned or this is what we were trying to learn. What are some of the things that you are hoping that we're getting from all of these opportunities and possibilities? 
So what I what I know is that we've we already have had some really good benefits uh, for Earth, not just for space exploration. So I talked about bone and muscle loss in space. It's sort of it's a lot of like that of what if if we left it untreated, it's a lot like what you would see in a postmenopausal woman of bone loss in in all our astronauts on a monthly basis. It's pretty quick. Um, and since we have been in uh, in space on the International Space Station, we've been able to mitigate that. We've been able to do the experiments needed to say, we have solved the bone and muscle loss challenge for space flight. And oh, by the way, if you do the same thing on Earth, you eat all your calories, you increase your doses of vitamin D, and you do your resistive exercise, you two uh, osteopenia uh, patients um, or osteoporotic patients can also battle that 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 loss of bone as well. And you know things like um, using ultrasound uh, for uh, telemedicine in ways that we had to use for our astronauts are now being applied to Earth, and and just basically using the microgravity environment also for things like um, growing up crystals of certain types of drugs. If you want to improve on the effect effectiveness of certain types of drugs, you can do that by growing up these nice big crystals in space and studying them and then improving on their formulation in Earth. So I know that there's lots of Earth-based benefits uh, that are already coming. What I hope is we have even more and that we, we become even more collaborative um, with that kind of science. And so if we become more collaborative, we can share these results with each other. I'd like the businesses to be able to have some breakthroughs and um, on, on Earth. Uh, as well as in space to be able to advance their products to those of us on Earth. But not just that, human exploration. Of course, what I would like to see and what I hope for the space station is that we've been on, we've been on board already for 20 years. It's like my entire NASA career. So it goes by quickly. So what I would hope is that whatever time is left in station, we continue to use it. And I know we will continue to use it for advancing uh, uh, our knowledge of how to explore beyond the Earth orbit. Because like I said, humans adapt. And when that body changes, it's going to change on the moon and it's going to change on the way to Mars and it's going to change at Mars. And so what are those changes? How do we uh, develop the right, what we call countermeasures to, to mitigate that so that we can work with those changes and not hurt ourselves and we need to stay healthy. So I have a lot to say, but I hope the legacy of space station is just helping those on earth and in space. And I know it will be. Right, 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 right. So it sounds to me like a you know, a way to kind of speed things up, right? To get results yep. even faster than we would expect here on earth and whatever would take as many years as it would take now could probably take a lot shorter. And one of the key ingredients to that is that collaboration that you, yep. that you mentioned. Yes. Going beyond the borders of our countries, going beyond the borders of everything that we know. Right. I didn't even mention the international partners, you know, because we, we have our international partnership, which is great. Different time zones, different politics, different missions, um, different needs, different scientific goals. And so that's been incredible the last 20 years. And, and we won't go to the moon alone and we won't go to Mars alone. We will have international partners. And so um, there's always that wonderful, wonderful component. And, I, and I, I've really enjoyed that component. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Tara, for being a guest on Next Level Tips. I really had so much fun with this conversation and I wanted to say thank you. You're very, very welcome. Thank you, Lena. It was really great to meet you. Please keep up the good work. Your podcast is really great. I love it.
I hope you enjoyed the interview, and now this is where Tara becomes curious about what it was like for me to qualify and play in the Olympics in beach volleyball, a sport that I only started playing after college. What kept pushing me to succeed, even in the face of overwhelming obstacles? I have to ask you before we hang up, and I know there's not, I don't want to keep you too long, but like, how, what was that like going through, like, to, to qualify for the Olympics and to be in, in all that. I mean, yeah. I know, I know I remember I read about you and you said that what your first coach was like, eh, you know, and then you, you're not going to go anywhere. And then, and then you did. So how, what was that? I mean, did you, I mean, how much of that came from nature versus nurture? I mean, you know, like, yeah. what was that like thrilling or fun or exciting? It was a lot of it was subconscious motivation at the time, which came from this conditioning. Growing up in communist Bulgaria, we didn't have a lot of opportunities. And so I started seeing my parents' life repeat in my life, which was, you know, there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of passing over for promotions. They weren't members of the communist party. And so those frustrations is what I witnessed. And I kind of had this mindset of, I want to create a better life. I want to create a life that's a life of opportunity, you know, where things weren't dictated to you by the circumstances, which I felt was really unfair. Even as a child, I understood somehow that, you know, these invisible forces or things around us that, you know, are really saying you can do only so much. It's not fair. And so my, my sense, you know, childhood kind of enthusiasm was, I want, I want a level playing field. You know, I want to, I want to just start even, I don't want to be like this far behind everybody and then try to catch up. And so then getting cut, you know, it was just like, oh, you don't have what it takes. We know what it takes and you don't have it. And it's just like, wait a minute. No, I actually can decide how far I want to take it. And, and yep. so the beach volleyball, which was very different than indoor volleyball allowed, gave me that environment where I could, I could dictate that myself. It just depended on how hard I worked at it and how good I got at it and how I would say, you know, I can do this or I can't do this. It wasn't dictated to me by outside forces. It just gave me the freedom. So sometimes I wonder like how far could I have taken it if not only freedom, but I had support, <laughs> you know, you kind of wonder. Right. Like, I mean, you're really right, right, right. It's right. like, well, let's talk about that concept, you know, not only we give you the freedom, but now we can actually support you in doing what you're doing. Right. Happen in that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. So totally. Me, the whole Olympic experience was just creating this opportunity, create, you know, kind of proving that you're not defined by circumstances, no matter what the experts say, you actually can create something that you want in your life and and it became my mission you know it just became the driving force behind everything and how i overcame obstacles so everything became through the lens of no what do i really want and what do i really think about it and how much do i want to put in it and so just as long as i didn't have artificial obstacles around me how far can i take this and it became amazing to play with my sister to have this relationship evolve in such a way where we could share the court together, have our parents, no you know, the whole Olympic thing for me was, 
being able to say, you can take it as far as you want and, and kind of set that precedence. Otherwise, we just accept what's being given to us. Yeah. The question becomes, when is it out of your control? You know, and, and no is no. Is there ever no is no, right? You know, like if someone who's applying to a, a college program or um, a job that they want so bad and, and they, sorry, no, 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 no. And, and uh, yeah, when it, no, it's just, it's an interesting thing. It, I, I think that what you're getting at is this notion of um, co-creating the outcome having the humility to know that you don't control all of the outcomes you don't control right. you know you don't control everything having that humility but also being introspective enough to raise your awareness to know why why is this important to you just like you said you know like why was that important to you and sometimes the no's are just basically like gateways right you think that it's a no that it's in front of you but it actually becomes a gateway to guide you to where you're really meant to be as yeah. much as i am strong and can create and can you know make things happen because i want to do it some of the best things that have happened in my life were against my will were so true right you no know, right so it becomes a matter of accepting having the humility Oof. to accept that you don't control every outcome and that your place is not to create everything, it's to co-create, to allow for that possibility yeah. of something even greater happening. And sometimes it may look different. Sometimes it may look like, you know, you're the biology degree that now has engineering and this is exactly what they were looking for, but they didn't know to tell you that 10 years prior to that. So if it wasn't for yeah. you wanting it, how would it happen? It's so true. And when you're in it though, when you get that, no, it's, it's the worst thing, right? Like you feel thing. like when your dream is blown and you can't see, it's so hard to see it when you're in it. I think that's what faith is. I guess. I, I mean, I mean, it's like, you have to know that hindsight is always 2020 as they say, or when you're in it, it's the worst thing. And, and it's hard to see. You can tell yourself, this is okay. You know, I believe, I trust that this is going to have the right outcome, but boy, it's really hard when you're, cause you're still human. So <laughs> when you're in it, you're in it, man. Well, that was the uh, thing, you know, it's like when I got cut, that was exactly what I got. It right. was like, it, it's no, it's immediate. It's right here. And that's when you right. have to kind of take a step back to give yourself that perspective, right? Because to create that hindsight, but in real time, so how do you step back in the moment? And I really think that it's asking yourself that bigger question, like, why is that important? Why is that important? Right. I think good. That's, that's what neuroscience really shows. Being able to switch the response, being gripped by what is in the immediate environment and how you transfer it, like from the fear, right? From the uh, fight or flight to now the challenge response and that bridge. Yeah why is that important to me? You know, what, what are the different things? What do I not know in this situation that, and just allow for that bigger possibility? Right. What do I not know in this situation? Yeah. That's really super insight, Lena. You, you, you've had an incredible life and, and really good, really good next level tips for, for others to learn from. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for answering my questions post post interview. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Next Level Tips. You can find more information on linataylor.com. Please subscribe to Next Level Tips and join me each week for a new conversation with leaders in business, science, and elite sports. We talk about the defining moments that shape our lives and the skills to transform challenges into opportunities. I'm your host, Lena Taylor, a two-time Olympian in beach volleyball and leadership coach. Thank you for listening.